0: Reveals his glory through marriage. God is a God who loves to show his glory in many ways. His glory—it's not some uh, ethereal idea, some some idea that's out there abstract. He loves to manifest his glory in very real and tangible ways. That's what he's like. His glory fills the earth, and one of the w- ways that he loves to do that is through a family, through marriage. So God calls the woman, the woman to trust God and to to support her husband. He calls the man to sacrificially lay down His life for His life. And then in that relationship, He reveals His glory. He says something about the nature of who He is in the church. So today as we get ready to look at His Word, let's go to Him in prayer asking Him to show us His glory. So Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your glory. We thank You for who You are, God. We thank You that You love to reveal Yourself, Lord. You're kind and merciful that You show Yourself to us in You do it through so many specific ways. Thank You for this idea of marriage and and how You show Your glory in it. And You bless families and You bless societies as well. You bless Your church. So we pray, Lord, You would show us Your glory today as we look at Your Word, Lord. You would show us Your glory and You would show us how You're calling us to be part of manifesting Your glory in our lives and how we live. We want to hear from You, Lord. We need Your help. I thank You, Lord, for forgiveness in Christ and Your love and Your Spirit here with us that we might receive from You. And so we look to You, Lord, as we look at Your Word in this time to speak to us and to show Your glory lead us in Your glorious ways, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. We look at one verse today, just verse 7 of chapter 3. Peter has been explaining living in light of the Gospel, living in light of being God's people. In many different contexts, we're called to walk these things out. He's spoken about wives with husbands and now he says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 1 Peter 3 7, 1. one verse with lots, lots of truth in it. We need this truth. We need the truth of 1 Peter 3 7. We live in a culture that is increasingly confused about what it is to be a husband. And there's all sorts of ideas out there, there's a whole spectrum of ideas out there about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a husband. On one side, there's the perspective that to be married as a man is to subject yourself to, to life as a tortured prisoner. It's kind of a man's view of, of a husband. Don't get married because then you're going to be the, have to live at the whim of your wife. You're the tortured prisoner living for her. You've probably seen that in the media and so forth. That's one idea. There's the husband as the ignorant buffoon. Mom's the competent one. The, uh, the husband's just kind of the ignorant buffoon, the uh, Homer Simpson type of husband. There's the husband as the overgrown adolescent who, who, who really just selfishly pursues his his boys' toys and boys' games, and the wife puts up with that. There's that idea that's out there that he just is a, an overgrown adolescent boy who's married. There's. The husband has a dutiful helpmate who who participates with his wife in everything. They share everything equally. He's faithful and dutiful, and and there's much good in that. That's out there as well. There's a whole spectrum on on either side, on both sides of this, that are out there. And and if we we rely on the culture and the media and so forth, as entertaining as it might be at times to watch a Homer Simpson or whatever, uh, we'll find ourselves confused and frustrated. But God has not left us alone. He's not left us alone just to kind of float along with the culture. He's given us truth. He cares for us. He loves us. And He wants to show His glory through marriage. The Scriptures paint a really compelling picture of marriage. There's a beautiful picture as you read through the entirety of Scripture of what marriage is and what we are called to as men and women in marriage. This passage today is part of that beautiful picture and gives us Wonderful truth. Really, the truth in this passage is that, that the man, the husband, is called as leader of his marriage to live in an understanding way with his wife. To honor her as his full equal. That the husband is called as the leader of his marriage to live with his wife in an understanding way. And to honor her as his full equal. And as such, living this way to receive blessing from God to receive answers to prayer. That's the summary of 1 Peter 3.7. So we're going to talk about understanding. I think you have notes that were in the bulletin. Understanding. The aspect of understanding as a husband. We're going to talk about the aspect of honoring. And then we're going to talk about the aspect of receiving blessing in prayer through this. So Peter calls husbands, right at the beginning, to live together with their wives in an understanding way. Recall, Peter calls husbands... To understand their wives. Oh boy, if we could only do that. guys. A young man was walking along the beach in Southern California with his surfboard, and he suddenly spotted a bottle, kicked the bottle, picked up the bottle, and it was this ornate, beautiful bottle, it had a cork in it. He, uh, he uncorked the bottle, and out came a genie. And the genie said to the young man, um, Thank you for letting me out of the bottle. I'm prepared to grant you one wish. What would you like? And, and the young man uh, thought, You know, I really like to surf. And he said to the genie, I, I, I like to surf, and I've surfed here in California, but I've never been to Hawaii. I, I get seasick, and I'm afraid to fly. So my wish is that you would build a bridge from here to Hawaii. And the genie said, What? Are you kidding? A bridge from here to Hawaii, that's crazy. Do you know how much concrete that will take? How much rebar? How much I mean, to put those supports down at the bottom of the specific will, will deplete all the concrete resources in, in the world. This, it's just crazy how... I mean, that's a ridiculous, a ridiculous wish. You, you can't wish for that. You've got to wish for something else. And the young man said, Okay, well, I've been married and divorced a few times. My wives have always said I I don't care. I'm insensitive, but I don't really understand them. And I really don't feel like I understand women. I want to know what they're feeling inside. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know when they're crying and what's going on. When they're quiet and giving me the silent treatment, I want to know. I want to understand what I should do and what they're thinking. I want to to know what I need to know. I want to understand. I want to know how to make them truly happy. Jeannie, could you make me... Understand women. And Jeannie responded, Do you want that bridge two lanes or four lanes? (laughs) And now, don't hear me what I'm not saying. The fault lies with the men, not the women. But this is a problem, isn't it, for us as men? To understand women. But Peter calls us to it. He calls us to live with our wives in an understanding way. To make a key part of our relationship for us as married men. And this message, actually, by the way, is not just for married men. Because the same principles, if you think about them, apply to all men as they live in relationship to women in general. So guys, young guys or unmarried men, uh, listen in. Because you need to learn to live this out with your sisters. Whether they're your actual family, or the family of Christ, or just your fellow human, humans in female form, you need to learn to live this way as well. This applies to, to all of us. Peter calls husbands to live together in an understanding way. A really significant reason for marital difficulty is often this issue, that men do not live together in an understanding way with their wives. They're not living that way. There's there's not a desire, there's not striving, there's not a growing, there's not an understanding. And you think of how many women are discouraged in marriage because their men, their husbands, don't understand and don't seek to understand necessarily. They find themselves alone and discouraged. They they don't have a soulmate. They have some sort of partner, but not a soulmate. This is a, a common issue. And conversely Often when you look at marriages that are thriving, one of the key elements that's there is a husband who seeks to understand his wife. He may stumble, but there's a, there's a desire. I want to understand. I want to hear. I want to get to know you. I want to know what you're thinking. I want know, know what you want. I want to help you in that. I want to be your friends. This is a key, a, a key task. And we are called to it as husbands to live together with our wife in an understanding Regardless of how daunting it may seem to us, it's the clear call of Scripture. You may think that you need a miracle to do it. But I want to remind you that there's already been a miracle that's happened greater than the miracle of granting you the ability to understand your wife. And that's the whole context of Peter's call here. Remember, first chapter, second chapter, Peter has been talking about the Gospel. He's been talking about the reality that we belong to the Lord. That we are His. That we are forgiven. We're reconciled. That Christ has brought us salvation. He's paid for our sins and now we are accepted. And we are members of His family. We are this priesthood. We are this chosen people. We are this holy nation. We are this people who have the Spirit in us and have this guarantee of this future with Him. Without sin. With 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 being conformed to the image of Christ. With being able to truly understand each other. This is the context. There's been a miracle already. There's a greater miracle than the miracle of understanding our lives. That the eternal, infinite, perfect God would die on the cross for our sins and be raised on the third day and now be our God and live with us. So there's a context of a greater miracle that is in place before there's any call to this application. So guys, be encouraged. There's an infinite, almighty, good God who is on your side, who loves you and loves your wife and understands both of you and is at work in your life. So we can approach this daunting call with faith. We can be diligent in something that's hard work. And often that's what the bottom line is. Isn't it, guys? This is just hard work and I just don't want to do the hard work. We can come at this hard work in faith and in diligence, knowing that God has already worked. Therefore, we can work. So there's a context to this miracle that we're called to. Really, everything else, given that miracle of new life in Christ, forgiveness, reconciliation with God, everything else is cake. Everything else flows from that truth. That's why we as a church talk about being Gospel-centered. Because the Scriptures do. And because it communicates the truth that the Gospel, the goodness of God, the promise, the grace, the blessing of the Gospel is the foundation from which our lives as Christians flow. Everything else flows from that. And so when we struggle, we come back to that foundation and experience the life the Gospel produces to walk out these different truths. So be encouraged, guys. We are called to live in an understanding way. I think Peter is hitting on two aspects of the understanding. First, it's that this The person you're married to is a woman. And then second is that she's a weaker vessel. We'll, We'll talk about that in a few minutes, what that means. So first, she's a woman. She's not a man. Pretty basic stuff. But in reality, men stumble over this. They enter into a marriage and they expect their wife to be like them. They expect their wife to be like a man. And they find out, oh, Wow, she's not. That's often where the trouble is. She's a woman, not a man. Men and women are different. And they are different in significant ways. And if you don't believe that, just get married. And you'll find out, both for the woman and the man, there's a difference. And and we see it all around us. We see it in our children. Uh, it's different by design. God has made men and women in His image, both equally in His image, but different for reasons. Uh, Society has, has rejected this idea in part, but there, but there are things going on too where they're realizing, wait a second, I think we've made some mistakes to think that they're, it's only learned behavior or something. Recently, uh, Peg Tire of Newsweek wrote an article, I think we have this quote, just, just some of the things they found. Thirty years ago, feminists argued that, that classic quote, boy behaviors were a result of socialization. In other words, they were taught. But these days, scientists believe they are an expression of male brain chemistry. Sometime in the first trimester, a boy A boy fetus begins producing male sex hormones that bathe his brain in testosterone for the rest of his gestation. That exposure wires the male brain differently, says author Arnold from UCLA. Uh, How? Scientists aren't exactly sure. New studies show that prenatal exposure to male sex hormones uh, affects the way children play. Girls whose mothers have higher levels of testosterone during pregnancy are more likely to prefer playing with trucks than with dolls. There are also clues that hormones influence the way we learn all through life. In a Dutch study in '94, doctors found that when males were given female hormones, their spatial skills dropped, but their verbal skills improved. Just some data that's out there. The reality is there are differences. There's differences for biological reasons that God, have, God has hardwired into us and has, has made us this way. And there are differences in terms of call. There are differences. Men are different than women. Get used to it, guys. We need to understand, we need to learn. Men uh, are made and women are made according to God's design. Generally speaking, I think men, and this is in light of the scriptures, and in light of what we see, men, men are geared more towards tasks and goals. Women lean more towards relationships. Doesn't mean that women don't have tasks and goals or men aren't relatable. It's just there's a there's a leaning in those directions. Men tend to build relationships around common goals. Women tend to build relationships around common experiences uh men tend to be geared or women tend to be geared toward creating and maintaining relational connections men tend to be geared toward creating and completing tasks now those things are supposed to fit together there's a complementary function that God designs us for but we are made different and there are these tendencies we are to complement each other these these differences are from God and they come through Physiology, biology, and call. And they are inherent in our gender. So these differences are good. So guys and boys that have sisters, those differences are good things. And they're from God. And they're for His good purposes. That's the problem sometimes in gender wars, right? We see it in terms of us you know, I love being a man and I want everyone else to be like a man too. And so we relate to women who are different. Like, Oh, they're women, they're just crazy. And then it goes the other way, right? You know, boy, how insensitive men can be. And we have gender wars. That's not God's plan. God makes these differences that we might complement and work together as His people. And particularly in marriage. And so He calls the husband to live in light of His truth. To live in an understanding way. So guys, you need to understand your wife as a woman and appreciate her as a woman. Get to know the differences. Get to see how God's design works itself out in that. Get to see where the blessing comes through that. And I know for me, I am very blessed by the strengths that Peg brings as a woman and as an individual to our marriage. That ability, I think, to make and maintain relational connections serves us so well. I love people. I like relationships too, but I'm just not as gifted as Peg. And so she's able to keep a pulse relationally for us as a couple that serves me. I'm able, perhaps better, to keep us on track of what we're called to do and to be able to kind of sift out, okay, we can't do that. We can't do that obligation. We'd love to hang with them, but we, this, is, this is what's going on. So together we work and there's a, there's a health that comes from that. I'm sure you know in your own relationship how that works as well. So guys, we need to study and understand, and young men, you need to understand your sister and your sisters in Christ and appreciate them and value their orientations that are from God and that are gifts and blessings. So, we're living in an understanding way because your wife is a woman and Peter says because she is the weaker vessel. Now, don't mistake what he means. Uh, he's not saying that women are are somehow weak, weak, uh, constitutionally, you know, that they faint easy, they just can't deal with life. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what Peter means. Uh, Often women are tougher than guys in living life. They live longer, right? Uh, Some studies have shown that they have higher pain thresholds. They certainly can handle multiple things, multiple screaming kids and needs, way better than the guys generally do. So in many ways they're tougher. That's not what Peter's addressing. His understanding, I believe, of this weaker vessel is that they are the weaker vessel physically in terms of stature and strength and socially in terms of their call and position in life. So they are in a weaker, vulnerable place. That's what Peter's getting at. And so guys, we are called to live in understanding that our wives are inherently in this weaker, vulnerable place. And so we are to live in light of that. Men are bigger and stronger for a reason. We are made by God bigger and stronger to, to pro- protect and provide for our families. God's made us that way. And our size and strength and, and, and the, uh, the resulting, I think, authority that can come with that because of that is never to be used to intimidate and dominate. Gifts are never given by God for selfish gain, to rule. They're given to serve. And so the call here is to use your size and strength and your ability and position to serve your wife and to serve the women around you. To create instead of a fear of you and being intimidated and afraid to speak her mind and communicate with you, instead a context where she feels protected and cared for and secure and can operate in her gifts under your care, under your oversight, under your protection. May it be that our wives never feel anything but security and encouragement and protection from us as guys. That's why God gives us the gifts of size and strength. For protection and provision of others. So we're called to that. Sadly, domestic violence is all too common. It is actually the leading cause of injury to women between the ages of 15 and 44 in the United States. Domestic violence. around the world, at least one in three women will will be beaten or abused somehow in their lifetime. That's a sad state. And it it comes really from the fact that men are bigger and abuse their position and power to get their way. This must never be. And if you are in a situation, either as a victim or a perpetrator, you need to get help immediately if this is the case. There's forgiveness there's victory. I've watched God transform marriages along this issue. But if you don't get help, if you conceal it and protect it, if you're the woman and you do that or the guy that, and you do that, there's nothing but destruction ahead and, and a, life, a life under God's discipline. So guys, we are to use our size and our strength for good, to bless, to create this place where our, where our, our wives or our, our sisters can thrive. And it's not only true in marriage, but it's really true everywhere. We are to use those things to create an atmosphere where women can be all that God wants them to be. So they are the weaker vessel physically. They're the weaker vessel socially, really in terms of position in life and call. If God calls men to lead, then women are going to be subordinate in many situations, not, not necessarily in every way, in every situation, but in, in the family, in the church, and other aspects, women are going to find themselves under men's authority in one place or another. They are the weaker vessel because of that. They're vulnerable because of that. It works throughout society. I've seen it. You guys have seen it. How it can work in the bad way. Uh, you just have, to, if you don't think it's true that they're the weaker vessel socially, just ask a single mom what it's like to be a single mom in this society. Ask a single mom what it's like to have, have car repairs and home repairs done and estimates done. And the, the reality is they find themselves in a weaker place and, and men and businesses will take advantage of that. I, I've seen it. There's that reality. They are in a position of weakness and vulnerability. And part of that flows from God's plan and God's design for women to, to be under men, but, but not to have it be something where they're abused, but instead where the men understand that. That the husbands understand that. That the men in culture understand that. And in light of that, seek to honor women. In Scripture, there's this principle. It's here in 1 Peter. It's in 1 Corinthians 12 as well. That we, when there are weaker vessels, we don't disparage those. We don't crush them. We don't dominate them. Actually, the opposite is true. We give them greater honor. We recognize that they're weak by God's call, not by some inherent worth. And in order to make them to be all that they can be and to recognize that it's the God of all grace who gives us grace, we seek to honor the weaker vessels. We seek to care for them. So, in the church, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's calling us to operate that way. We're all, we all have different gifts. And the, and the gifts that maybe are, are gifts that are more obscure or, or not prominent gifts, we don't hide them away and forget about them. We give them honor. We treat them with, with special respect. First Peter 3, 7, same sort of thing. This this weakness is not a, an opportunity to take advantage. It's an opportunity to honor. And that, I believe, is, is the right heart that's often behind chivalry. Now, chivalry can be frivolous and all that. Granted. But there's a right place to live honoring women. There's something that honors God and gives God worship that recognizes this is grace from God that women are women. And when I... When I regard women in a special way, perhaps I don't regard men. That's not just silly medieval stuff. It's biblical. It's honoring God and honoring them. When I hold the door open, or when I work hard, or when I go and do the home repairs, or if I go with the single mom to the auto repair place to represent and help, there's something about that. That's chivalrous. It's biblical. It's Honoring and understanding that women are the weaker vessel. That's what Peter's calling us to. That we are to live in an understanding way. We are to honor them as the weaker vessel. So, husbands and men, we are called to honor our wives and women. Uh, to understand. And now, I want to talk about how we're called to honor. It's related. They, they are tied together. And these different things uh, in this verse kind of link together. Peter calls us to honor the women who are with us, our wives, the women women that we know in our lives, as joint heirs of the grace of life. They are joint heirs of the grace of life. We're called to honor them. And earlier on in this section, Peter called us to honor people. Do you guys remember that? Early on in the end of chapter 2, he calls believers to honor the who? Do you remember? We talked about relating to civil government we're to honor the emperor or the king those in authority over us it's the same word that's used here about honoring just as we honor the emperor just as we honor the authorities that God has given us we honor women now it's different in the sense that those are authorities over us women aren't, aren't in this context over the men but it's still we are called to the same honor we're called to honor women we are to call to honor Women, because they are joint heirs and because they are the weaker vessel, we are called to honor them. We are called to respect them and to treat them as precious and worthy of our respect. There's no room in the Scriptures for chauvinism. There's no room in the Scriptures for, for treating women as somehow a less worthy version or something. Uh, you may not never do that in your mind, but we can do that in how we live. There's no room in the Scripture for that. We are called to Honor women. The basis for this honor, the basis for the, the honoring the roles that God gave, the basis for the roles themselves are, are not competency or worthiness. There's equal worth and many times equal competency or better. That's not, that's not the context. It's the call of God. We are entirely equal in worth but different in call. and We need to understand that. Sadly, the feminist movement in our country, there's good that's been accomplished through them, but there's much bad as well. And one of the chief things that they're committed to, sadly, is that to be subordinate, to be different in call, is inherently means being different in worth. So they've asserted this truth that if you're going to say women are called to something different than men, then it's going to be that they're less worthy. They have committed themselves to that idea. And from that idea has flowed all the other ideas that you somehow have to level the playing field entirely in order for there to be equality. And it's a ridiculous assertion. It's totally ridiculous. Just practically speaking, we don't do that as we relate to one another, do we? Everybody finds themselves in a different position in life. Everybody is under some authority. Everybody has particular gifts. None of us have the same gifts. So if you say that in order for us to be equal in worth, we have to do the same thing, or be able to do the same thing, or have the same position, it's ridiculous, right? We don't go around trying to level the playing field with everybody. We understand intuitively that that worth does not flow from function. Worth flows from who you are. The essence of who you are. And we are all human beings. All made in God's image. Therefore, we are equal in worth. So we don't need to run around worrying about, oh, no, you know, everybody's got to be a pastor here because otherwise, you know, there'll be some sort of difference or everybody's got to be this. We don't do that. We understand that. Why should there be any difference with men and women? Not only that, but more importantly, this idea flows from the Trinity itself. There is God, the one God, the three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three beings of the Trinity are fully God completely god of the same essence equal in worth equal in nature in every way but are they equal in the role no right the father sends the son right the son does the work of redemption lives the perfect life dies on the cross is raised from the dead he he comes under the father he says that clearly in scripture and and he rules under the father he subordinates Himself. Because He's less than the Father? No. He's called to a different role. The Trinity has agreed and worked together. or I don't know how it works. From eternity past, it just is. <laughs> and from that flows the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then the Father and the Son, they send the Spirit. The Spirit, in a sense, is subordinate under the Father and the Son, supporting the Father and the Son, illuminating the truth of the Son, the Gospel, to God's people, and through that bringing glory to the Father. There's subordination. There's differentiation in the roles. But there's no worry in Scripture. There's no worry about somehow, you know, one's less God. No, they're fully God. So these truths about men and women, the difference in call, the equal in worth, is are grounded in God Himself. And we know that intuitively. We live out the truth. Equal in worth, different in function. And so... So it's from God. It is of God. And we are to recognize that. We are to recognize that we are equal in worth. And that's part of what Peter getting at. We are to honor our wives. We are to honor women as joint heirs with us of the grace of life. We are joint heirs. We are equally receiving the grace of life. And this is a radical idea really for today. In Peter's day, to say this, and the Savior is very clear in his asserting such truths and relates women this way. Uh, In the uh, Varsity Press Women's Bible Commentary, it says the following. I think we have a quote. The concept of a woman as joint heir with her husband was a radical one in Jewish and Roman society. According to rabbinic tradition, sons inherited and daughters received maintenance. A Roman woman upon marriage sank to the legal status of her husband's daughter and could Claim only a daughter's inheritance, half that of a son. Here, women are presented as co heirs of the gracious gift of life, equal in the sight of God and the believing community. So, they are equal, full, fully worthy of our respect, joint heirs with the men, worthy of honor. Jesus spilled His blood in equal measure for women and for men. He loves women and men equally and fully, infinitely. He loves His people, be they women or men. That truth has to function in our minds and in our lives as we relate to women, as we relate to our wives. We are to honor them. As co heirs of the grace of life. So, guys, do you honor your wives? Do you treat them as equal? Do you recognize they are worthy of honor, made in God's image, joint heirs of the grace of life? Boys, young men, do you honor your mom? Do you honor your sisters? Do you honor your female friends, guys, that way? That's the call of God. There's no room for slippage. No room for anything less there. We are joint heirs of this wonderful grace of life. The free gift of eternal and abundant life won by our Savior. I could preach a whole other message just on that. The grace of life. We have received such riches. And when we're with the Lord, we are going to share with them as men and women, in the fullness together, The wonderful blessing of the grace of life, the free gift of life in God and forgiveness. Peter finishes out this section with one other point. That this call to husbands to honor, to understand, results in receiving answered prayer. You see that in the passage at the very end of verse 7? So that your prayers may not be hindered, Peter says this call to understand and honor. There are many reasons for it in the first part of the verse, and there's one great result in it that your prayers might not be hindered. Peter is, Peter is assuming that we are praying in this. He's assuming that as believing men, we are praying. He's assuming that as believers we understand the place of prayer. And again, this is a whole other message. But he's assuming a lot. See, God in giving us prayer has given us this gift. God works. He's a gracious, sovereign God. He pours out grace and blessing. He does that through certain means or conduits that He's given us. He doesn't have to use the conduits. I'm not saying He's constrained to those conduits. But the normal way that He ordains to meet needs and to pour out His grace is through these what we call means of grace. These conduits. A key and even essential conduit of God's grace is prayer. If we don't pray, we are rejecting God's grace. And we are saying, we don't need you, God. And we should not expect to experience God's grace and blessing if we neglect prayer. That's the assumption that Peter comes to in this passage. And so, another aside here is that, guys, um, we need to pray. And Peter, I believe, is also assuming that the men as head of their households are understanding their responsibility for their wives and their families and their church and their community and are taking prayer seriously. Understanding that God wants to bless through this means and are spending time praying. Now, it doesn't mean you pray all day long, but there's a seriousness, there's a regularity There's a desperateness in prayer assumed in what Peter says. He assumes that and therefore he can say, guys, understand and honor your wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is to serve as a major motivation for men. Sadly, perhaps it's not a motivation for us because we don't pray a whole lot. What do I have to lose? I don't pray anyhow. May that not be. But what he's saying is that given that we do pray, given that we recognize our desperate need for God, our desperate need for His grace, our desperate need for God to work in our marriages, our desperate need for God to work in our children that they might understand and be saved from their sin and live for God, our desperate need for God to work through our church, through our prayers, our desperate need for Him to pour out His Spirit and use us in evangelism, given that understanding, we should be horrified at the prospect that our prayers would be hindered in any way. That's what Peter is saying. And we should be motivated as men to say, Lord, please, may it not be that I would hinder my prayers in any way before You. Because I need You. I can't live without You. My family can't live without You. My kids will not be godly without Your work. My church will fail. The community will go downhill. If You don't work, God, I need You. So may it never be that there be anything that would hinder my prayers. That's what we should be hearing and feeling. And thinking. Why? Why are our prayers hindered if we don't understand or honor our wives? Because God, because God abhors dishonoring and misunderstanding of His daughters. God is not going to sit back and let you misunderstand and dishonor the women in your life without doing something. He will not have it. He will not grant you the prayers you ask for if that is your orientation, if that is my orientation. It's kind of like if God, well, He is a king. Imagine you live in a country where there's a king. He's a very gracious king. He's a good king. He loves to bless His subjects. And you live under His care. And you're privileged actually to marry one of His daughters. And you are needing to do some things around your farm property. You need some things done. You need some help from the king. But the sad fact is that you have not been a good husband with the king's daughter. You have not sought to understand her. You have not honored her. And then you go to the king and say, "Hey, hey, dad, um, I'd like some extra money so I can expand my farm and take care of these things. And we got, you know, we had some problem with the floods. I got to rebuild the, the field out there and stuff." And the king knows how you've been treating his daughter, should you expect anything from that king? Would he be a good king if he just said, "Yeah, here's money, go ahead." No, he would not be good. He would want to address you. He does address you. First Peter 3:7. He's good. He wants to bless you. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to work in your marriage. He wants to work in your family. He wants to work in your church and in your community. He is gracious. Perhaps the problem is that you have made yourself an opponent of Him in how you treat your wife. Or how you treat your sister. Or your female friends. God calls us to this understanding and this honoring that our prayers might not be hindered. If the bank could come up as we close. I think we all recognize this. We all need the Lord desperately. And God is good to give us first Peter three seven to teach us these truths. I know we all want the Lord. We want His ways. So let us guys freshly repent. I would submit, I, I think, I can say this with accuracy, every guy in here has some room for repenting in light of this truth. So what I want to do before the band plays is just to take a few minutes. Ladies, pray for us. To take a few minutes just to consider one area of change. Maybe it's just a confession. Lord, forgive me. I want to change everything. Maybe there's a specific area. But just to take time before the Lord to repent and to receive forgiveness and receive fresh faith in anticipation of how He will answer our prayers and work in and through our prayers as men, as a church. So after we do that, we'll close in worship. But let's just take time to be before the Lord.